There's a universal truism is probably the better word for mm -hmm. those who have experiences, they have something to pass down if you're teachable, if you're yep. listening. Well, welcome back to Footnotes with Dr. Tony Caffey. With me, as always, is Pastor Tony. It's good to see you, Tony. Hey, Adam. Hey, good to see you. Uh, I'm your host, Adam Casalino, and we are continuing in the book of Proverbs. So last week uh, it was your introduction to the book and the importance of wisdom, of course. And, and this past Sunday, you jumped right into chapter one, verses one through 19, and your title was Averting Disaster. Am I right? That's right. That's right. Uh, so any opening thoughts you have? Yeah, I think uh, Proverbs starts off with a uh, cautionary tale about the dangers in this world. And if we are dealing, and I think we are, with fathers and sons, or maybe more broadly, the nation of Israel, their fathers collectively and sons as well, moms are involved there too, right? Proverbs 1-7, mm -hmm. then uh, cautionary tales are important. Son, obey or um, these bad things <laughs> can transpire in your life. And mm -hmm. we know it, 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 it's true. Yep. So when I think of, you know, when you're jumping into a book of scripture, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, usually the opening passages kind of help set yes. the theme or tone of the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, of course, the very beginning, that's obvious. But then the next large passage is this warning about following after sinners. Mm -hmm. And I, th I guess you could say that helps set the, the tone or the theme of the entire book. And uh, I think that's interesting because perhaps in the world, when they think of wisdom, they think of philosophy and all yep. these highfalutin ideas. But <laughs> Solomon's very practical. He's like, wisdom is fearing the Lord, listening to your parents, and avoiding, as you called them, the knuckleheads. Yeah, that's probably the difference between uh, Hebrew wisdom and mm. Greek wisdom and yeah. Greek thought. So it is, uh, in some settings in the Greek world, more philosophical, more cerebral, more... Um, ethereal, you know, just kind of abstractions, yeah. whereas uh, Proverbs and Solomon, it's not like that. In fact, it's it's super practical. It's funny because, you know, here's this guy who's gifted in wisdom, and one of Solomon's gifts is zoological. Like, he knows all these uh, <laughs> yeah. animal names, and he's learned them all, and like, who would call that wisdom? But mm -hmm. in that world and that ethos, that's mm -hmm. uh, part of the wisdom sense. So, And you had said something really interesting I want to hone in on for a minute, that there are these very accomplished, smart people in the world, mm -hmm. but are extremely unwise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think of people in, even in academia who are famous and well-known in science, et cetera, but then they get taken down by these awful things. Yep. So in your estimation, this is kind of a softball pitch, but it's... Oh, disgusting. I'll take it. Let's go. Better <laughs> up. How can someone be so smart in one area, but lack wisdom? Yeah, and and we have, I think, kind of this mantra in the modern American world where, you know, education is the key to everything. Mm -hmm. Well, education and what? We have mm -hmm. a lot of academic programs and academic degrees that are uh, fluffy and nonsensical or in some ways destructive to <laughs> our patterns and our habits. We think yeah. about, you know, the critical theories that are so popular right now and we even, you know, I could go off on a tangent right now about the incipient Marxist thought that mm. works its way into to higher education and 
that's not wise. Yeah. You know, that's incredibly unwise. All you have to do is look at history to see mm -hmm. how foolish that is. So wisdom is built on stronger stuff yeah. uh, than just education. It's education can be a part of that, but it's a different kind of education. It's an education about the Lord. It's an education about mm -hmm. the Lord's work. It's uh, in some sense experiential. Mm -hmm. So there, there is a folksiness to it, but uh, it's, it's something that's always, uh, you know, conditioned and driven by this, this fear of the Lord yeah. uh, conception that, that, is all over the book of Proverbs. And then we have fear of God language in Job as well. We have fear of God language mm -hmm. as well. In Ecclesiastes, we have it in the Psalms. So this is just the nature of, mm -hmm. of the ancient Israelite world, that this, this intelligence, wisdom, discernment, insight, this, these are gifts that flow from God to us. And we don't always see it that way in the mm -hmm. modern world. In some ways, in the modern world, it's like we got to get away from God in order to yeah. find wisdom. That's not working out so well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think C.S. Lewis once said, all that education has done is made man a more sophisticated devil or something like that. <laughs> I always think of that when this topic comes up, uh, and I think it's appropriate. That's a good quote. Yeah, it's not exactly right, but people can look it up if they want. Um, so as you mentioned, fear of the Lord is so central to this book, and of course it's a major truth written throughout Scripture. But how do we reconcile that? Because you brought this up Sunday with the love of God. Like, like, I agree with you. I don't think those are opposites. They work together very well. But someone who might be new to this, and we have a lot of new believers in our church and who I met might be listening, um, the fear of the Lord is a very layered concept. It's a very good concept, very healthy concept. But it does include a certain measure of fear, maybe not a worldly fear, but a legitimate fear. So how does that coincide with what we know about God as our refuge and as our father and mm -hmm. someone that we look to for help? Good question. And you're right. I think the problem exists in our modern day world because we have this epidemic of fatherlessness. Mm. Those of us who have good dads who know what it's like to both love and fear somebody at the yeah. same time in a healthy way, yeah. it makes perfect sense. Right. You just... Uh, extrapolate that to a cosmic scale for a perfect father in heaven. But not everybody has that experience mm -hmm. with their fathers. Not everybody even grew up in a two-parent household. So it, it, it gets complex really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I would say this, I, there's got to be a fear of the Lord wrapped up in salvation because what, what do you need saved from? Mm. <laughs> Obviously, there's, there's something there. You need saved from yourself. You need saved from your own sin. Mm -hmm. But you know, part of that, as we know, as New Testament Christians, is we need saved from the wrath of God poured out on sinners. Mm -hmm. And so, your fear of God is driving you into the arms of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so, both fear and love are part of that equation. Um, we do have that statement in John about perfect love casting out fear. Mm -hmm. So we're preaching through First John right now, you yeah. and I, as well as others in the Preacher's Guild. So we'll <laughs> we'll deal with that. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, there's there is an unhealthy fear. Mm -hmm. There is a kind of terror, dread, uh, thinking uh, those of us who are the children of God that God's out to get us, mm -hmm. or that you know, he's just looking for a, an excuse to clobber us mm -hmm. whenever we make a mistake. And, and instead of seeing it in terms of our sonship as God loves us, like, like a good father does, he's going to chasten us, he's mm -hmm. going to 
to discipline us um, for our good, for our own good, for our betterment in the discipleship process. And so I think we need to sort that out, maybe mm -hmm. talk that out, yeah. even in, in terms of your own experience with uh, parents and how uh, maybe the, the ideal that's set forth in Proverbs and elsewhere maybe wasn't your own experience, but how we need to see God in light of the perfect ideal of mm. fatherhood. And then, and then we can find that, that good balance between fear, fear, faith, and love. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do want to say this too, because I think in our modern day world, love has conceptually just means indulge whatever mm. anybody wants. Right. And that's not a biblical concept of love at all. Yeah. Love has uh, strictures. It, it has mm. an expectation. It has even a backbone in terms of the way that we are loved by God, pressing us forward yeah. to action, not just, oh, you know, you know, you can live any old way you want to and God's going to love you. You know, that that is in many ways a modern invention mm -hmm. and a reinterpretation of of the ancient concept of of love yeah. so yeah and like you said that's like the santa claus view of god yeah. and the more i think about it about the fear of the lord the more i see how integral it is to even things like trust because if god is is worthy of our reverence and awe and fear that goes yeah. hand in hand with trust because mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me if he is that mighty and powerful yep then we should fear him, but that also means he's the only one that we could truly take refuge in. Yep, and he's so, on our side. Exactly, and like the, the demons tremble at the thought of this God, and mm -hmm. so, you know, we can, but it's not like that dread or that terror, but understanding how mighty he is and that through Christ he's on our side, that he sent his son for us, that should lead to worship, adoration, trust, peace, even love, if we if we're looking at it from a biblical perspective, which of course we need to, so I want a strong God. Yeah, and and I, I mean I have to invent him like that's the way he's presented. So and and I had a strong father figure growing up, and that was good. That was stabilizing for my emotional state. Mm -hmm. You know, my my dad is in charge, and he's strong, and he's authoritative. Yeah. Good. You know, mm -hmm. you're a new dad. Like that's <laughs> that's your calling, man. Yeah. To to be the strength that your daughter can depend on, and like I said, extrapolate that to a cosmic level, and that's that's who God is. Yeah. So, moving on, one of your points was to heed spiritual authority, and of course, that connects with what we've been talking about with fathers. And so, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I didn't notice you touch on this a lot, but I wanted to ask how that applies to you know leadership within the church, because the emphasis, of course, is on parents. And you touched upon, well, how do we heed parents or obey parents who are not yep. godly? And I wanted to see how this principle then applies to the church. And of course, we've talked about that in Hebrews mm -hmm. uh, and all that. But the idea, of course, when you're grown up, your parents might not be in your life, but they're always going to be this spiritual leadership. So how could, how should someone kind of interpret this in light of you know, being in the church and under leadership? Yeah, good question. So I'll give you a wrong way to interpret this. Mm -hmm. And uh, love the church fathers, love the reformers. But if you do some reading on that particular verse, a lot of them will allegorize the father as God and then the mother in that passage as the church. Mm. So... Uh, 
I don't think that's the right way to go. Okay. I think this is uh, in that Israelite context, we're dealing with families, and Solomon's trying to set the trajectory for the Israelite families to obey mom and dad. And that ties into the law, which is a big part of uh, Hebrew law as well, to obey parents and to not be disrespectful, even the Ten Commandments in terms of honoring your father and mother. Hmm. So, but, so I will say this, a broad principle that shows up throughout the scriptures is the goodness of authority. Hmm. There's actually a new book coming out, I'm interested to read it, by Jonathan Lehman on the goodness of authority. Because we live in a world right now where, you know, authority is bad, bad, bad. Let's right. smash it all. Yep. Yeah, that's not going to take us anywhere good. <laughs> uh, so there are authority structures that God has set up, and and they're good. We have government authorities. We have uh, family authorities. We have workplace authorities. We have um, we have divine authorities. Yep. And to unless you have a compelling reason not to, you should... Uh, submit to your authorities. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even say church authorities. We have church authorities as well. Yeah. So, and, and you walk through those in the New Testament, oftentimes when Paul's presenting, you know, husbands are leading their homes, elders are leading the church, parents are leading their kids, uh, you know, uh, uh, those who own companies are in charge of their employees. Of course, that's the slave owner dynamic, which mm -hmm. is complex, I get, but uh, still the, the, and then submit to uh, governing authorities as well, mm -hmm. Romans 13, 1 Peter 4. So um, so extrapolating from that verse a broader principle, or maybe maybe that's not right, the right way to say it, tying in mm. to the bigger biblical theological theme right. of uh, heeding the authorities in your life, I, I think that's right. And mm -hmm. I added the, the uh, adjective spiritual because mm -hmm. that's the spiritual dynamic of the of what's at work in ancient Israel. In the modern-day world, it's still at work in the family, but we have as well the spiritual authorities of the church, which interestingly, they are described sometimes as kind of having this fatherly, motherly function within the church body. Where is it where Paul talks about caring for his uh, the church like like a mother mm -hmm. nursing uh, yeah. their child. Yeah. I think that's First Thessalonians, but I mean that's well, that's a vivid image right there. <laughs> like the the tough guy, the apostle yeah. Paul, who's been through thick and thin and yep. near death and stoned and all kinds of other things, and he's describing his work in the church as like a nursing mom. Mm -hmm. Wow. So mm -hmm. I I think uh, the broader principle there extracted from all of Scripture is to mm -hmm. speed. Uh, speed, <laughs> heed spiritual authority. Yeah. And it's important to note for those wondering, this existed even before the fall. It did. Authority was always a part of God's design. He's the king. And then he told Adam and Eve to rule over the earth. So there was always that setup. And even in the new creation, there's going to be authority and, and leadership of a certain kind. So this is not a, a, a consequence of sin that we need authority to control us. Right. God always had that in place because there's protection, there's growth, there's a thriving element to when we submit to authority. I'd be interested to see that book and how he works through that, because mm. that is a battle cry for some who want to throw off the shackles of authority. Right. Let's reverse the curse. Yeah. Well, I mean, there in Genesis 2, there were authority structures yep. in play, like you said. Yep. Government is a, I would say, a temporary authority mechanism, mm -hmm. uh, whereas the, you know, the United States is not going on into the kingdom. Yep. You know, at some point, these things will... Uh, disappear and will submit to Christ and Christ alone, millennial kingdom on into mm -hmm. the eternal state. Yep.
Now, one thing I, I noticed during the your message, uh, I wanted to point out, you had said this is this heed, my son, you know, your father's instruction was the first command of the book. And it reminded me of something Paul said. This is just a little nugget for those who like to chew on this stuff. Paul says, I think in Ephesians, from the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother is the first commandment with a blessing or a promise attached that it may go well with you. And, the, and it's a lot of parody with this because he says, heed your parents and then it'll Here's be like blessing. a garland. Yeah. So there's like this consistency there, which I think was really cool that even Paul recognizes this importance. So just throwing that out there. Yeah. It's like a good truism to, to submit and to honor the wisdom of your parents, even you know, I, I've worked through like premarital counseling with folks and and even talked through like, even if you have an unbelieving father-in-law, mother-in-law, there's mm -hmm. still something there in terms of common grace, wisdom to to mm -hmm. pass down. Usually, you know, obviously there's, there that's not always the case. Yeah. But, uh, but, but, you know, there's, uh, there, there's a universal principle, truism is probably the better word for... Mm -hmm. Those who have experiences, those who have been gone before you, they have something to pass down if you're teachable, if you're yep. listening. You know, it, when I was growing up in school, I didn't always have Christian teachers. It wasn't like, did you do your quiet time today? Because otherwise, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to listen to you teach me on history. You know, like, sure. there's still wisdom Absolutely. and there's still things to be learned from somebody in that setting for the person who is, is teachable and, mm -hmm. and, and heeding the authority in their life. So the, the main bulk of this text uh, is this warning from the father to the son, as you called it, uh, ignore knuckleheads, which is like the nicest way to describe yeah. these folks. And you, Use your own word there. Uh, uh, the first one that came to mind wasn't very pretty. Um, <laughs> how about well, losers, bad, bad, the bad seed, the bad yeah. influence. Um, Gangsters even. Like, yeah. These thugs, guys are looking for blood. Yeah, hard-headed guys. And it's very vivid, of course. Uh, you had brought up something interesting that I'm sure some people would want to talk about more about, you know, you you told this to your son and it's a warning that, you know, there's going to be people who will try to entice you and not to listen to them. But you had also said that, you know, you can't, you want to still be a light to these people. Yep. So maybe there's parents with teenagers and they're wondering, how can I do that? Like their warning might be, don't be friends with those people. Right. But how can we find the right way to navigate don't engage in all that sinful behavior, but still somehow be a light to those yeah. types of kids. Yeah, you got to know your kids. You mm -hmm. got to know their susceptibilities. You know, every parent goes through this when they get into that stage where are we going to homeschool? Are we going to private school? Mm -hmm. Are we going to public school our kids? You know, how much can they handle? How much can we handle financially? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and it depends on the maturity of your children. It depends on how much influence they actually can have over uh, people and you as well have an opportunity to influence. But I can't tell you the number of people that I've interacted with that have gotten saved or came to Christ by a friend that they grew up with or mm -hmm. a, uh, a house that they went to because it was whatever, it just it, it had a different feel than the other houses right. or their own house. And so... You know, we can ask a bigger question too. Did Jesus ever hang out with knuckleheads? <laughs> yeah, he did. If, yeah. You know, the Pharisees called him a, a wine bibber and, mm -hmm. a, and a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And yeah. 
He was very intentional with that. He didn't indulge his flesh, obviously. He's sinless, mm -hmm. and, and he didn't encourage sinful behavior. He um, actually steered them away from that. Yep. But uh, so there is a place for that. We're, we're not called to go live out in the sticks and mm -hmm. churn our own butter and live an <laughs> Amish lifestyle. That's yeah. just not consistent with what we see in the New Testament. So, um, but, but we need wisdom. We need shrewdness. We need to know mm -hmm. what our friends can, our children can handle in terms of their friendships. So, um, and, and we need to be prayerful too as parents. Mm. Like, Lord, my, you know, my son's has all different kinds of friends growing up, some Christian, some not Christian. And, you know, there's been times when we've said, Lord, help Alistair to learn the foolishness of his friends right now mm. and go a different way yeah. and uh, be a, a godly influence on this other uh, individual. So, mm -hmm. yeah, is it is it too uh, ambiguous to say it depends, but <laughs> it but it depends. Yeah, um, I think, well, that goes back to what we were saying last week about these are truisms that require discernment yep. and, you know, the right circumstances. So like you said, one child might do great with these knuckleheads because they're kind of self-confident and, and self-assured and they could witness to them and, and be a delight. Yep. Maybe the other kid, not so much. Takes a little more care and, and admonition. And, mm -hmm. and I look at my own life like it was never a problem because once I got saved, I just told everyone about Jesus and that kind of drove the knuckleheads away by virtue of that. <laughs> that could be one That's solution. Strategy. Yeah, just tell them about Jesus and they won't want to be around you. Um, so yeah, so of course, as always, it requires a parent to be engaged with their children, be aware of who they are and rely on the Lord's leading. I had friends in high school that, I mean, I, they would go out and drink and party and come back to school and to basketball practice with horrible stories. I mean, <laughs> stuff that parents have nightmares about. Yeah. Uh, and I, as a Christian kid, didn't participate in mm -hmm. that. Um, and I was still able to influence and, and be friends with those individuals. Um, it's probably a little touch and go at times when... Mm -hmm when maybe I wanted to be more sinful than I was and, and could have done something stupid. But uh, for the most part, my parents had ingrained in me the, the cautionary tales, uh, even in my own family, and, um, mm. and that helped in those yeah. moments of temptation. Yeah, that reminds me of a time when I was older, working, and I had a co-worker that I was friends with, and he knew I was a believer, and so he never asked me to go out drinking with him, but he came back one day telling me something that happened over the weekend and it's like he knew i wasn't going to join in with him with that stuff but when something bad happened as a result of his mm -hmm. actions he was the one came to me for like okay now what do i do mm -hmm. and I, that was an opportunity of course to to share with him and talk to him and pray with him about it um and you don't know what those type of opportunities might arise yep. when you, a person is being a, a light and example even to those, you know, knuckleheads or sinners, because they might hit that rock bottom spot. And like you said, they know this is a home I could go to for help because I don't know what to do. And we're the ones with the, the good news. Um, yeah. So, you know, as we move through the text, you know, Solomon's very vivid about the type of dangers these people play pose. Mm -hmm. And he says something very... You know, at first might sound unusual, you mentioned it, but he says they spread their net out 
in the sight of any bird. Mm -hmm. And you said, well, they think what they're doing is secretive, but really it's not. But what is the, what is the implication of that? What does that actually mean? Well, to be honest, the Hebrew is very cryptic. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you see in, in uh, poetic literature, it's called ellipsis. I don't know if you've heard that term before, like mm -hmm. in the literary world, but mm -hmm. you leave details out. Like and dot, dot, dot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's a technique where you, uh, it's part of terseness, you're, you're trying to describe mm. something with less words, mm. but there's, there's also kind of an ambiguity to it. So um, I think what he's describing there is he's talking about there's, there's a net that's being spread out for birds, you're trying to keep it secret, and in your effort to secretively do that, you trap yourself. Mm. So it's kind of a... Um, it, you know, and, and that's, I think, becomes more clear in the verses that follow. Like mm -hmm. you set out this trap, you, you're trying to trap some other person, you get you get trapped yourself in it. Mm. So there's poetic justice in it. There's uh, irony, I mm. think, uh, biting even irony in that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just think about the cautionary tales in our own lives uh, or in our own world where, um, you know, Gangsters die young and gun gunfighters, you know, mm. Wyatt Earp is the exception, right? Like, because <laughs> everybody else died early. Um, and people who live a life of sin, a life of danger, a life of crime uh, end up, you know, falling prey to what they do. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's the idea. And that's as old as time, this, yep. this reality. So. Right. so final thoughts as we wrap up this passage before we move on to the next next week? Yeah, I would like to keep at the forefront of people's minds that kind of father-son and also mother dynamic where think about, you know, Junior's about to go off to high school for the first time or uh, a young Jewish person who's 13, um, uh, maybe uh, uh, about to reach this place of adulthood. Mm -hmm. um, and what are the big temptations out there for that young man? Mm -hmm. We've got bad friends, violence. We got coming up real soon, sex and mm -hmm. uh, the issue of wayward women. So that's really the the picture that's being painted in the first nine chapters of Proverbs is, young man, here's how to keep a straight path. And, and then there's that climactic passage, which we'll get to in a little bit, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that help. Yep. Help uh, help a man walk straight. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's that's the the thrust of Proverbs one through nine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very well known memory verse. I think for a lot of us. Um, well, thank you once again for being here. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, for those who've missed the, the actual sermon, it's available on our channel. Also, this and every all our other resources are available at vbvf.org. Thank you. Mm -hmm.